We're building Mini Me. No. <laughs> what? Mini Me. Where is it? What is it? <laughs> Mini Mage. Oh, Mini Mage. Fine, fine. for the Mundangerous Arcology in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 152 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're continuing our series on campaign settings and talking about rifts. But first, the rogue traders get wrecked more than usual in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the glitter boy shines like a murderous beacon in the character Creation Forge. So Shane, speaking of murderous beacons, you will be on stage at Gen Con in August. I, I don't know how those two things are related. Oh, well, the audience <laughs> I, will see. I, I assure you it's perfectly safe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Because uh, you're going you're gonna to destroy their illusions about being a game master, right? Uh, no, it's not the podcast panel from last year. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> what is it about? So Thursday at 9 a.m. Uh, at Gen Con, I am joining Michael from the RPG Academy and Victoria from the Broadswords podcast to do a panel called Introduction to DMing for D&D. And we are going to talk about beginning DMing in D&D. Oh, specifically in D&D? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because oh. it just makes it makes everything easier if you just narrow it to one thing. And I mean, I think that's the probably still the most common entry point, right? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it's a good idea to, to narrow the focus. Uh, fifth, fifth edition D&D, right? You're not like, here's how to be a GM in 3.5. Well, yeah. I mean, we're <laughs> going to quickly cover that up front. Don't. Okay. <laughs> Fourth edition. Right. So Probably but, don't. <laughs> so you want to start with the expanded psionics handbook. Right. <laughs> now, what you're going to want to do is ban wizards. <laughs> Right, actually, that would probably be the best. Also, every full caster, just get them out. Uh, yeah, so there are only 18 out of 150 seats remaining um, as of last night. So seats are running out, um, but we would love to have you join us if you're going to be there at Gen Con. Fortunately, I bought a small supply that I'm willing to scalp, but only later. I feel like you're going to lose money on that purchase. What? Yeah. I, I can't imagine the market for that is appreciating. Oh, this is like Theranos all over again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, except for the whole going to jail for defrauding actual patients. I mean, we'll see about Gen Con. You're right. Yeah, we, might, we might be defrauding the audience. <laughs> Who you don't knows know. what you're saying on stage? You might not learn anything about DMing. <laughs> Speaking of not learning lessons, Shane... Where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Dead World Malajak, the Rogue Traders and their two best companies of armsmen have located the Verza House, an ancient obsidian fortress once occupied by the fallen Dark Angel, Lord Cypher. And the mysterious mutant attackers that have been harassing you since you got there are now mounting their largest assault yet. Uh, they won't take no for an answer. It's really kind of annoying. Yeah. Like, we, <laughs> we called dibs on this house. <laughs> like, we called, like, I called shotgun and I got here. It's mine. We put a flag in it and then we named it after ourselves. <laughs> well, okay. Not, you didn't really rename it yet. <laughs> well, I did in my head. Okay. 
<laughs> this is the uh, Fortress of Tranquility. Right, yeah. It's about to be the Fortress of Trank Solitude. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> because that massive assault is coming with full artillery cover, siege weaponry, and uh, more actual attackers than you have yet seen. Uh, almost like they've been harassing you and testing you and are now ready to fully uh, expunge you from the fortress. But you know what? I'm fine with that because they should bring it. They should bring all their big guns because we have also found big guns. Yeah, I, I mean... Mid-Siege, you found big guns because uh, Flare, Echo, and Trix, the uh, Astropath, Quartermaster, and Seneschal, uh, are busy exploring the depths of the house, looking for its secrets to figure out what it is that's drawing them here and why is this place so important. Uh, And meanwhile, they found an armory filled with these cannon-sized pulse rifles that you guys are using uh, up in the upper casements to actually defend the place. Right. You say cannon-sized pulse rifles, but they're single shot, which really just makes them pulse cannons. Okay. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) So the rest of us are in the upper casements, which, if you recall, was the scene of the first horrible battle here in the Verza house. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we are fighting back, Uh, although right now we're hunkering down because the siege artillery is uh, laying into the fortress, and we're just kind of hoping that the dice don't come up, hey, you died. Right, yeah. I mean, that's sort of the thing, right? They're ranging you with their artillery, and, you know, hopefully the defenses hold, but if not, it was a good life. Well, probably not for your armsmen. (laughs) (laughs) Or for me. Okay. (laughs) I was in the Imperial Navy and a drug addict. And now I'm here, and this is worse. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Until, suddenly, the artillery actually ceases. Um, Not for a good reason, though. It's because the attackers have now reached the base of the cliff that the Verza House sits upon uh, and are beginning to uh, mount ladders and climbing equipment or just simply free climbing the cliff uh, in order to scale up into the casements above and attack you now this makes them you know sitting ducks right they're just right on the wall and you can just sort of point down and pick them off but the problem is there's so many of them that it doesn't really matter how many you kill yeah exactly like you know you, you kill 12 and 24 more replace them and uh you know it's a war of attrition and they seem to have the upper hand so Trix is organizing the defenses as best that he can but there really just aren't enough men to man every single casement and make sure that nobody gets inside and so you do the math the verzer house is breached and we'll find out what happens next next week so this week we continue our series on campaign settings Uh, the point of this series is for a group to be able to figure out relatively quickly whether a particular campaign setting is one that they might want to set their game in And, you know, if you want to use the uh, system that that setting is typically affiliated with or you want to switch it up, which you might want to do with Rifts, then this will let you know how to do that. So what's the elevator pitch for Rifts? Let's say I've never heard of it. Oh, it's bonkers. (laughs) It is pants on head crazy. Yeah. So let's start with (laughs) it's post-apocalyptic. Yes. Um, In the not too distant future, reality has cracked open like an egg. Uh, Every sort of madness and monster from the dreams of humanity has ended up pouring through these dimensional rifts onto a post-apocalyptic Earth, and now they're wreaking havoc. Have fun. It's like Mad Max, but also with, like, Cthulhu 1. Yeah, and and magic. (laughs) Yeah, also also the magic. And, like, crazy industrial tech as well. And psychics. Oh, yeah, it's also dystopian, shadow-run, like, corporatism. 
Um, is there any other genre we can throw in here? Uh, we've got existential horror. <laughs> there, it's 40K. I mean, they're definitely like fascists with skulls and big robots. Yeah, it's 40K. It's just like, you know, 2K. <laughs> yeah. Two, two and a yeah, half K. It is. <laughs> so Riffs was created by Kevin Simbita in 1990. So you say Simbita. Why do you say Simbita? I've definitely heard other people pronounce it Simbita. Because you instructed me that it was pronounced Simbita and I am obedient. I've heard that that's the way that he pronounces it, although in the probably most Riffs-like outcome possible, people on the internet argue about whether the creator of Riffs is pronouncing his own name correctly. Yeah, so is it Sim- is it Simbita? Is it Simbieta? I mean, it, it just depends on who you ask, apparently. And there are also other people who insist that it is, it is uh, Shembieta. Okay, good. So it's Gaelic now. <laughs> Polish, apparently. <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> Um, yes, you might hear it a couple different ways, but Kevin Simbita is the sort of architect of this crazy setting. He founded Palladium Games, which published it, well, which published many RPGs, uh, starting with Palladium Fantasy in eight, 1983, and then Heroes Unlimited a year later. Uh, yeah, they were responsible for um, some of the like games based on intellectual property in the 1980s, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, Robotech. And then along in 1990, uh, he's like, yeah, we're going to do our own thing. Here's Rifts, which was basically like his his crowning achievement. And it ended up being the birth of what's called the Rifts Megaverse, which ties all of the different Palladium RPGs together in a single crazy multiverse. A single Megaverse. Megaverse, <laughs> which is, I, I say it like that, that's basically, that's basically Rifts, that right? The entire tone of Rifts is yes. to be read as <laughs> Megaverse. <laughs> right, like it comes out in 1990, right? So it's essentially an 80s product. Like uh, if you've ever seen the uh, old animated film from 1981, Heavy Metal, uh, which is just also insane, um, that's basically the tone of, of Rifts. It's um, like... Led Zeppelin plus uh, 80s techno synth. Okay. <laughs> it's like Led Zeppelin and Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. With whatever the hell else you, you want to stick in this, stuck in there. Because that's what the Megaverse turned into, is every uh, other game that Palladium put out, they were like, oh yeah, yeah, you can play it in Rifts, because, you know, uh, there are holes to different dimensions on the Earth all the time. Literally anything can come through at any time. And they really lean into this with the sourcebook approach um, because, man, if you ever find a store that carries riffs, you will find one copy of about seven dozen books. Yeah, literally. So unlike most game systems, Rifts hasn't really been updated from the original rule set. It comes out in 1990 and you're still playing with those rules. You're still playing with that book. Yep. Uh, they just keep pumping out new ones. Uh, although in 2005, they put together a Rifts Ultimate Edition, which they were very, very clear is not a second edition. Uh, it don't, it bar- like barely updates the rules, which is a criticism some people have of not the setting, but the, the system, because it's it doesn't necessarily make all that much sense. Uh, game design has come a long way since 1990, but Rifts has not. Right. And, you know, the setting pretty much stayed where it was. It was just kind of restating everything that you had acu- could have accumulated through the dozens of source books that came before it. Yeah, I think, like, within the fiction of the game, all of Rifts takes place within, like, this 10-year period, a few hundred years in the future. So let's dig into, uh, into that bonkers history of the far, not-too-far future. 
Yeah, how did the world get like this? Because Rifts takes place on like real life Earth, just in an imaginary, I mean, hopefully imaginary future. Uh, so in the future of the real world, not too long from now, there's a nuclear war and it kills millions of people all at the same moment. And that particular moment happened to be midnight on the winter solstice during a planetary alignment. So the release of all this psychic energy from this mass death overcharged the Earth's ley lines and caused natural disasters all across the planet, which killed millions more and started this chain reaction of death and, and psychic energy. And then all over the world at the same time, reality tore itself open and creatures and terrain from all these different crazy ass dimensions just started pouring through. And now the world is awful. So fast forward a few hundred years later, the shattered remnants of humanity live um, <laughs> precariously in these authoritarian city-states, very Mad Max-esque. Uh, they're relying on advanced military hardware or magic or psychic power to hold back all of the threats that are coming from these interdimensional rifts. And this could be, like we said, literally anything. It ranges from fantasy creatures like a dragon or a troll, which comes through from like a like a fantasy universe to Lovecraftian horrors. Like there's a lot of tentacle and eyeball stuff happening in rifts. Uh, or, you know, just like vampires. You know, more regular stuff. Right. Yeah. Your your normal type of scary stuff. <laughs> Uh, so the idea is that there are these ley lines that still crisscross the planet and they become actual lines of energy that are visible at night. Uh, if they're extremely strong or, again, there's some sort of like mass casualty, then they can get charged again and maybe you can see them during the day. But at night, they're like these huge rivers of glowing energy uh, across the planet. And where they intersect, you get this nexus and you can, you, you know the drill, right? It's a, a magically important place where like rituals can happen. And apparently the pyramids are one of those, you know how it is. Um, all over the world, there are rifts, some of which are permanent. So they're always open and it's basically just a door to another crazy dimension. Uh, sometimes they're, they're temporary or they can just open up randomly. Yeah, depending on how much of the plot your GM wants to focus on this rift. Yeah, it's a little like Planescape, like the Sigil, the City of Doors, uh, but like heavy metal. <laughs> it's a little like Planescape. <laughs> Megascape. Yeah, this, this whole book has to be read in the voice of a, of a monster truck announcer. It really does. Come see Gravedigger. <laughs> Mega damage. <laughs> we'll get into that. That's a thing. <laughs> we'll get there in a second. So there is a, um, a bunch of terminology. Much of it is due to the system. You get like PPE, like uh, potential psychic energy. Is that it? And like all your stats have abbreviations. We won't really get into that here because it's not necessary for you to understand for the setting. But there are also also other terms like DBs, dimensional beings, which sounds not that great but actually it turns out it's uh, any kind of like uh, non-human that looks humanoid so like a star trek alien or an elf or a dwarf uh, anyone like that and they in many areas of rifts and you know, they've been pulled through um hundreds of years ago and like they've built small societies uh, and in some places they're integrated in other places they're dealing with a lot of xenophobia so it, it's sort of on on top of the craziness, if you want to be sort of like a generic fantasy creature or, you know, like a sci-fi alien, uh, you're dealing with another level of persecution. Uh, and then also you get mechs. 
Uh, we alluded to it at the top, but you know, tying all these game universes into a single multiverse, you've got Robotech as a Palladium game. Like, oh yeah, there's going to be mechs, and they're going to be mechs. <laughs> there are people inside. Like, there's powered armor, sure, but there's also giant robots. Right. <laughs> We're going to have kaiju battles <laughs> with giant monsters uh and uh, and a lot of uh like humanoid animals because remember they have the teenage Mutant ninja turtles game as well <laughs> right <laughs> plus after the apocalypse there's also like a bunch of radiation you know like, yeah. weird things happen <laughs> all right so the the kind of core setting for rifts like sort of the the first place that players were expected to explore was the midwestern united states or at least what's left over of them um, they're called the Coalition States, and they're based in Chi-Town, which you might guess is Chicago. Or where Chicago used to be. It's now this uh, strange, like, eco-tower based on a caste system, and people who live in the suburbs are looked down up. Oh, wait, it's exactly the same as Chicago right it's now. Chicago, never never yeah. mind. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. So uh, the Coalition States, or specifically Chi-Town... Um, might seem familiar to some of you. They are militantly anti-magic. They are xenophobic. They are genocidal against everything that is not uh, normal human. They're ruled by an emperor named Karl Prosek, son of Joseph Prosek. Uh, and he's a fascist dictator who enforces things like mandatory illiteracy and that strict caste system. Yeah, his people love him. <laughs> like, they actually they actually do. It, there's propaganda everywhere. No one can read, right? So it's all just like audio-video. This, I mean, this part of it is very, like, Dark Sun or Fallout, right? I mean, and granted, I know this predates Dark Sun and Fallout, but uh, they're all kind of being co-developed in the same time period, so they're they're very similar themes. Does this predate uh, 40K? Or was no, 40K well, mid-80s? because Rogue Trader was mid-80s. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so no, it doesn't predate 40K. So, uh... Chi-Town is often at war with other city-states or in, like, tentative pieces with other city-states, right? the, the other coalition states. Um, sometimes they're fighting <laughs> Free Quebec uh, or or they'll gang together and they'll fight the Federation of Magic. Um, but the, the coalition states are kind of bound together and most of their disagreements are based on, like, what is their particular view of magic? Or do you mix magic and technology? And how do you treat uh, DBs? You know, are they allowed in society or do you murder them on site? Yes, you'll get the skull motifs, you'll get power armor, you know, <laughs> xenocidal, like, uh, insularity. Uh, yeah, it sounds like the Imperium. Yeah, and you know, just like the Imperium, there's the, um, there's the explanation, like the in-universe explanation for like, why you've got all these skulls and it's supposed to be like oh we, it's really intimidating people get really intimidated when they see like skulls on our vehicles and and like the body armor and you know spikes on guns because you know it's super 90s it's super 80s and 90s like that yeah yeah you know when you're listening to a song and you're like this sounds like an 80s song but it technically came out in january 1991 well yeah it's because the 90s ended in 1992 or they yes they didn't begin until nirvana right well, until never mind. <laughs> All right, so that's North America, essentially. Uh, but the rest of the world also sucks. Yeah, so Mexico is run by vampires. Uh, Atlantis has returned. Hey, yeah, it came back. Did you know it left? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's here again. Right. Uh, they, they run an interdimensional slave market. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, the the Splugorth, who are eldritch horrors who, you know, have tentacles, and instead of a head, they've got, like, a giant eyeball. Uh, you may know what they look like if you've ever seen the cover of the main Rift's source book, which is a Splugorth on, like, a floating platform with, like, sexy ladies in cat suits. Yeah, if, if you're thinking this sounds like a beholder, well... Keep in mind, his eye stalks are actually mouth stalks, so it's totally different. Yeah, and it's got arms and stuff. And and here's the thing about the Splugorth is that they're not actually uh, completely murderous all the time. Like they're they're corporatists taken to the extreme. Like if you've got money or you want to bar, you want to make a deal, they're here to make a deal. That's fine. You you want to buy something? We got it for sale. Also, these aren't ladies. They are apparently some sort of, like, uh, asexual aliens that reproduce by budding, but happen to look uh, exactly like female humans, which is just so rifts. They they happen to look like Kevin Simbieta's platonic ideal. <laughs> yeah. Also, they don't have eyes. I don't know what that says about uh, uh, all right, we'll moving, get into that later. Yeah, moving on. The Incan <laughs> gods have returned, and they're busy fighting an alien invasion. Hey, England fell apart, and it's basically run by druidic magic again. Oh, Merlin is, is hanging around, but I think he's evil. Yeah. Uh, Europe has been overrun by all the gargoyles that decorate it. <laughs> and Russian warlords fight wars with armies of cyborgs, because it's not like Russia doesn't have enough people to have this fight. <laughs> uh, oh, China merged with hell. Okay. Well. okay. <laughs> it's, it's literally hell on earth. Uh, Africa was overrun by the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So I, if you're there, look out for those guys. I just love how that's like, oh, yeah, no, we didn't have any interest in exploring those cultures. So, like, I eh, just f*** them up. That was, that was totally it, right? There's absolutely the, oh, you're going to do a source book in this part of the world. Huh? Yeah, I don't know anything about that. Let's Can we just destroy it right. and just build our own <laughs> on that map? Great. Uh, oh, Africa fell back into uh, primitive warring states and jungles. So we're done. So great. Um, but don't worry. Japan got its full treatment. <laughs> it totally did. Maybe if Africa wanted to be part of Rift, they should have created anime. Oh. Yeah, Japan is split between uh, anti-tech samurais, imagine that, and a highly advanced Republic of Japan, which uh, was a, a trio of cities, including Hiroshima, that was actually shunted a couple hundred years forward in time when the apocalypse hit. So they didn't get destroyed. They actually had all, and still have, all of the like awesome future tech that <laughs> we're expected to have in like 2089. Is there a more 90s point of view of Japan than samurai and cheap technology? No, like... no, there is not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, along with Bolivia and Argentina, Japan has some of the best tech on the entire planet. Yeah, don't ask. Okay, so we've been joking about them, but uh, let's let's actually talk through some of the themes here. Yeah, if you actually want to play in Rifts, the world is deadly, like extraordinarily deadly. We've talked before about points of light settings where there are small bits of civilization in between large swaths of wilderness. Um, Rifts is like that, but oh my god, so extreme. Like the small points of civilization aren't usually that civilized. They're... Um, authoritarian dictatorships or like you're you're a, a slave run by some sort of eldritch overlord or like the nice part of Mexico is run by vampires who just make you donate blood every three weeks and don't just feed on you like cattle uh, and in between that is the bad places which are like horrible wastelands and like roving monsters and like oh look there's a dragon or like maybe a mini Tarrasque or like 
uh, something with a whole bunch of tentacles that we're just not interested in going anywhere near. Or werewolves, whatever. So if you're playing, you're definitely a small fish in a big pond. And this is probably illustrated the most by one of the like wackiest parts of the actual like palladium system, which is the difference between SDC and MDC. Like normal hit points and mega damage. Mega damage. <laughs> so normal like people, human beings have hit points. Uh, what is it? SDC structural damage capacity, I think it's yep. called. Yep. Uh, but like strong objects like uh you know mechs and and dragons and things like that they have so many hit points that they have mega damage capacity they have hit points that are equal to literally a hundred hit points oh okay so it's hecta damage but we'll call it mega damage mega damage (laughs) they should have just been damage and micro damage (laughs) there you go yeah (laughs) Um, so the the joke here is that you know you have like less than ten hit points as a as a human, but a laser pistol does like a hundred to four hundred damage. So um, if you aren't heavily armed and armored, you're pretty much dead. Right. So like a laser pistol does you know one to four mega damage, which is necessary because if you're shooting a laser pistol at like someone in a mech, you do absolutely nothing to them unless you're dealing mega damage. But at the same time, that means like in the quote unquote normal areas of life, like your regular little laser pistol, like Han Solo's blaster uh, can like melt a car into scrap metal in one, maybe two hits. Yeah. And like a person just like essentially explodes. Right. So essentially in the fiction, this bleeds through as, oh, my God, everything can kill you immediately unless you are completely encased in armor or you are like some sort of like magical being or an insane titan. Right. Then another important theme, um, kind of part of what makes the world so deadly, is that every nation is out for itself. There is no meaningful attempt to kind of band together all the nations on Earth and try and, like, gain some control of the environment. It's pretty much just everyone out for themselves. Yeah, I think there's, like, canonically, like, one time when, like, free Quebec, like, joined up with the coalition states, like, temporarily. and, And it was like, wow, everyone was super surprised when that happened. Uh, because, you know, the enemy of my enemy is also my enemy here on Rifts. Right. It's structured um, kind of intentionally so that they could create these source books and pump them out for different areas and different settings within the Rifts world, right? So rather than dealing with the impact that introducing a new book and setting would have on a global scale, they just kept them all kind of partitioned off. So another theme of Rifts is that power comes at a price. Like, you're going to get giant mech armor. That's the whole point. But using that armor causes your muscles to atrophy because you never want to leave it. Yeah, like, if you step outside, you're probably going to die. And the only way you're going to die is stepping outside your armor. But, you know, it can feed you, like, nutrient paste, and it can, like, reclaim the water um, when you go to the bathroom. But, yeah, you're supposed to get a couple of hours of exercise a day. But who does that? Also, you know, like... Shooting your giant mech gun creates a sonic boom that destroys the immediate area around you. So if you care about anything at a human scale, it's you know probably not a good idea to shoot that. Also, pretty much the only people who have access to that giant mech armor to give to you are fascists. So I guess you're a fascist. Right. Then you've got things like juicers who use drugs and, and various chemical injections to 
like drive their insane combat abilities but all of that takes a toll on their heart and they will die in seven years yeah this is your body on juice any questions <laughs> don't do drugs kids no but the dare program in that case is actually built to um, get more juicers to fight the whatever neighboring city state <laughs> i dare you to use drugs yeah, i dare you to be cool <laughs> enough to use these drugs juicer juicers were like my porthole into riffs is like being 12 you know because like okay so riffs came out when i was 11 37 yes exactly <laughs> i was 45 years old <laughs> Uh, so, you know, I was exposed to it essentially the same time as, as D&D, right? Um, and, like, to a 12-year-old, you're like, oh, wow, you can, like, look at all these crazy combat drugs, and you're like a crazy monster, but you die in seven years, and that's all the time you've got, so you better make the most of it. Yeah, because when you're 11, seven years is, like, oh my God, it's more for, than half your right, life. It's forever. <laughs> And I, I actually remember looking through, like, the juicer source book, or maybe it was in the original book, I don't remember. And, like, there are all these tables. Like, you know, you have a 22% chance of being able to, like, kick the habit at some point. And, you know, for every year that you're a juicer, like, it's even more likely that you're going to die. And I remember being like, oh, yeah, these seem like pretty good odds. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to roll under an 11. <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. Um, you've also got access to cybernetics in the setting, so you can kind of become superhuman um physically through that yeah you can make yourself like a total robot with just like a brain and a brain stem um you can get microchips in your brain that make you better at being a psychic okay i guess that makes sense techno wizardry right yeah no wizardry yeah post-humanity that sort of theme but you know of course like all post-humanity you risk losing the human side of you when you do that or just sanity We've alluded to this already, but Riffs is a kitchen sink setting. So another theme is that everything... Kitchen sink! (laughs) It's a Kohler! Everything belongs! Garbage disposal! (laughs) Everything has a place in Riffs. Uh, And, of course, the real reason for that is because it's easier to just say, hey, our source book also works with our current system. Right. But the fiction of the setting, it's basically all myths. All human myths are true. All the gods exist or did exist at one point, and they just left and went somewhere else. All different kinds of magic are true. Like, the Nazca lines are, are real and, and magical, and, like, voodoo works, and uh, like, um, people in Asia are fighting Oni. Like, all of that stuff. Well, well Absolutely true. Everything is true except Gnosticism. Okay. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. Do you know that? Yeah, the, the, the Kabbalah is like totally out. <laughs> There's an Incan god about a thousand miles from here who's fighting off aliens. I think Gnosticism is out. I think there was actually a class in like uh, Palladium Fantasy or something like that where you were the atheist and so, like, magic couldn't affect you. Oh, so you were the idiot. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. You believed so hard that it didn't exist or work that it couldn't touch you. Oh, okay. That's, that, that, appa- I like that, yeah. But it apparently, like, just didn't make any sense in Rifts. Oh. Because you were basically, like, a, I guess, immune to everything. Or maybe it was just that was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I think, you know, we started off this podcast talking about you know our eberron game and i think one of the complaints that people have sometimes about eberron is that you know it was originally designed for third edition dungeons and dragons as a system that is supposed to be able to handle anything in the 3.5 D D system which was 
A lot of different things. A lot of stuff, yeah. yeah. I mean, all fantasy-focused for the most part, but, you know, Warforged and Psionics and all that was supposed to fit. And some people really don't like that. But, like, Rifts. Rifts is, I mean, Eberron... Well, it's Mega Eberron, right? It's Eberron times 100. <laughs> well, <laughs> Hector Eberron. <laughs> Eberron is micro Rifts. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, your, uh, your party is going to be, like... You know, Conan the Barbarian, a gunslinger, a baby dragon, a juicer, and a mech pilot. And you're somehow going to have an adventure with all of those different things. And it'll it'll totally make sense. Like, the person pointing out, hey, it's sort of weird that we're all these different things. No, no, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> it's rad that we're all these different things. <laughs> I'm so stoked that we're all these different things. <laughs> we make no sense. <laughs> and, like, your baby dragon is, I think, anywhere between, uh, like, uh, six hours and, like, uh, three months old. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> the world could not make more sense to anybody else. So, like, you might as well just experience it blind. <laughs> right. Wow. You've been alive for seven years? <laughs> You're so old. Um, but naturally, everything is going to be turned to 11. This like, is post-apocalypse, and everything is going to be bad or good. doesn't matter. It's going to be extreme. Extreme. Yeah, like, how extreme can you imagine it? That is how it will be in Rifts. So when we cover different campaign settings, we usually sort of get into different specific plot hooks. But the thing about Rifts is that since it is so kitchen sink, um, literally anything works, right? There isn't necessarily a Rifts specific plot hook that you're going to want to play in this particular setting because any set, any plot hook we've ever mentioned before on the show anywhere works right any book you read that has a has a plot hook list that works for risk but there are certain kinds of plot hooks that you probably want to exercise if you've gotten a, a group together to actually play a risk game yeah and i would say the first one is like go all out you know whatever idea you had in the first place crank it all the way up like if if the party wants to be heroes be big damn heroes like do it right um you you, you know, you were going to have a pirate game and you were going to give them a, sh- a ship. Great. Have it be an awesome giant ship with, like, laser cannons on the side that can sometimes, like, sprout feet and, and walk on the land. Yeah. Like, definitely make it, like, a dune sailor that can also fly to outer space. Or, on the flip side, like, if you have a party that's just like, wait, okay, the world is awful, uh, so I guess there aren't really that many consequences. We're going to like wander through the wasteland and we're just going to like break stuff and like fight things. Oh, so like be pirates. <laughs> pirates are there for money. I'm just here to, I'm just here to smash. I mean, yeah, you, you could totally do that where it's like, pick something you don't like about this setting. Let's go destroy it. <laughs> like, Let's just go kick over that sandbox. And you will have a ton of allies, I think. Yeah. You're like, uh, you were just going to, I don't know, kill all the vampires in Mexico. Right. Really? <laughs> all, right, all right. Okay, the Incas are down. Right. <laughs> like, the idea here is that, like, the world is so bad, you can't really make it any worse. And you, you probably can't make it any better long term. So it it doesn't 
matter, you know, like go do whatever is coolest. Yeah. In the fiction of the game, none of, you can't really have long-term consequences because at any point in time, the, a, a new rift could open up wherever. Right. And then some awful thing comes through. I think there was one, one plot hook one time from like one of these rifts books that was like, hey, you can open up a rift to go back in time and stop the apocalypse from ever happening. No, that's stupid. That's the only <laughs> plot hook that doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, I think you should go back and be the ones who caused it. Right. Yeah. Just, well, throwing, that, just throwing that out that there. That would be a very you thing. <laughs> Sorry, I've already played that game in a different kitchen sink setting. <laughs> Look, me and some beta, all right? <laughs> we got some stuff in common. So Rifts is also really great for doing genre mashups because everything belongs, nothing belongs. There's like no reason that you can't just take two weird things and smash them together and see how it plays out. Yeah, it, it's kind of comic booky in that way, where you know you've got like Batman, the detective, who's like carefully examining clues, and Superman, who's like, I don't know, should we just throw it into the sun? Yeah, should we just fly backwards and reverse time? <laughs> Is that canon? I hope it's not canon. <laughs> I don't know. How would I know? So, like, think of it this way: if you want to play like a, a crazy old west setting with. Um, you know, some psychic stuff and, and weird tech, play Deadlands. But if you want all of that stuff and then you also want the giant robots to also be out there in the Old West and then, like, maybe you're stalking vampires and sometimes an alien shows up, play Rifts. Okay, so hang on. This is a good segue to uh, the next subject of discussion, which is adapting it to other systems because what you should totally do is play that Deadlands game, and then when you leave that town, realize that you're not in the Midwest in uh, in the late 1800s. You are in Rifts, and now you get mech armor. Oh, that's a oh, that is a great idea, actually. And hey, it, nice pea shooter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it works because the only innovation or progress that's been made on Rifts as a system was made in Savage Worlds with the Savage Rifts from Pinnacle. Yeah, I think that came out in 2015, and then there have been Kickstarters since then. Um, Rifts didn't get conversions earlier than that because Symbita had this habit of suing anyone who touched Rifts who wasn't at Palladium. So, like, if you had a website, like a fan website, he would sue you to get it taken down. And if you wanted to, you know, just write up some rules to play Rifts in a different system... He would also sue you. I think he sued Wizards of the Coast one time. But things seem to have changed a bit. Uh, whereas, you know, the, the Savage Rift system sort of tones down some of the crazier stuff. Uh, you don't quite have the same kind of mega damage silliness. Uh, and we've talked before, like, Savage Worlds is... It's a gritty system, you know, which fits with the, the tone of Rifts. Uh, but you can also tweak it to make it more heroic if that's something that you're interested in. I haven't actually played Savage Rifts, though. Yeah, I haven't either. There seems to be still a ton of interest about it, though. So it, it seems like it's going good places. I think people who are new to Rifts should probably look there first. Because um, I think there's enough like community support for uh, for Savage Rifts that it's like it's a better place to start. And then if you need old source books for like flavor and setting and stuff, you can always go find them. Yeah, like I don't think there's anyone who plays like normal rifts without a ton of house rules because like the system itself is can barely be called designed. Right. <laughs> like 
Uh, it is There's, specifically like every time new info comes out, it's specifically not supposed to be balanced with other stuff that's out. Yeah, it's just like there's a core mechanic, sort of, and it's a bad one. Right, it's roll under you know thirty four on a d one hundred or fail. Right, um, and adapting the setting to a different system also allows you to ignore. Uh, I guess in addition to it being able to ignore the system, which is probably the worst part about riffs. The other worst thing is that it is such a product of the eighties and nineties. There's just rampant sexism throughout the entire thing. Scantily, like tons of art of scantily clad women. Um, lots of like slaving uh, is strange demons that just sort of like, like to keep women around, even though they're not physically capable of anything else. Yeah, um, it's it's like it was written by a 14-year-old boy who happened to be a 40-year-old man. Yeah, you can just cut all that out. It doesn't even need to exist. Yeah, none of it makes any like foundational sense in the in the setting. It can pretty much be ignored. I think it's also pretty easy to do riffs in any kind of, you know, post-apocalyptic system. Um I think this works really well in eclipse phase because you've also got like, you know, really bonkers technology. And, you know, any kind of, like, giant mech game, I think, would be pretty easy to, to do with Rifts. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the key to adapting Rifts is to make sure that you're adapting it to a system that has enough variety in its, like, character creation and, like, choice options that are going to feel mechanically distinct. Um, so it needs to be a pretty broad system. Like, something like um, like Powered by the Apocalypse with playbooks, I think, would be too narrow for Rifts. Or you'd just be creating a lot of playbooks. Yeah, well, actually, Apocalypse World would be great because that is very much like a crazy mashup of all different types of things. Yeah, but I don't think Apocalypse World is going to go like bonkers enough in the character side to like really feel like a Rift's character. That's true. You just get like one plus one equals one right. in Apocalypse World. I could see you going like taking many different Powered by the Apocalypse games and pulling playbooks from different places like... We'll take a masks playbook oh, God. You know, this, and a dungeon world playbook. This is a nightmare. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't like to your point. I definitely wouldn't play it in something like Dungeons and Dragons, which while there are many different subsystems, it's all fantasy based. Right. And like, it's just too hard to get in all that like tech stuff. Yep. What about GURPS? I mean, I'm certain that GURPS could do it. I just don't want to be the one who figures out how. <laughs> Hand me a play to like a pre-gen character. Yeah, exactly. All right. So Shane, the question we always ask about every setting, would you play an RPG in Rifts? Yeah, I think I would. I mean, it's insane. I don't think I would expect a very long campaign in Rifts. <laughs> I do expect that I would be making multiple characters. But yeah, I think I would I, I would give Rifts a try. How about you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would. And I think I agree with you. I would actually love to play a one-shot in Rifts. I would even, I would play a one-shot with the Rifts system in Rifts. I would do that. I wouldn't do more than that. Uh, I would play a short campaign. I don't even know if I'd call it a campaign. An adventure in the Rifts setting. And I think part of that is because like it's so hard to actually have a lasting impact. Um, it's it's almost it's ironic that you've got this setting that is so all encompassing and so large, but that the stories that you can tell it kind of lends itself to telling smaller, more isolated stories that 
don't have an impact. Like it's more like an episodic TV show than one with a longer narrative. Or like Mad Max. Yeah. And yeah, you know, expect to die. And I think that's a good way for Riff's characters to go out. Uh, yeah. Also one shot characters to go out. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's a double recommend for Riff's, which is weird. I'm very surprised, actually. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Double recommended. <laughs> Double deuces. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? That's the sound of uh, my boom gun going off, which is why I can't hear anything that you're saying. Oh, if your boom gun went off, that means that I need a new character. So (laughs) let's move on to the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building uh, an iconic character... Uh, from riffs that we have not yet talked about so ishan what is a glitter boy not what you're thinking strangely enough well we're we're recording this the day of the pride parade in new york city so (laughs) you know what though i wish i wish everyone could be a glitter boy a glitter boy is a giant mech that is like immune to energy fire like you're immune to lasers and and why are you called a glitter boy? Because you're so shiny. Because that's why you're immune to lasers. Shiny and chrome. <laughs> Witness me. Can you see me? No? Well, can you hear me? Because glitter boys are also known for their other, I guess, their only other real component, which is the boom gun. Uh, a giant cannon that, I guess it's a giant rail gun that uh, fires a projectile above the speed of sound. So there's a massive sonic boom that shatters all the glass in the vicinity and kills anything it hits. Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the mech where like you're not really supposed to leave it because someone's easily going to murder you. But if you don't, your muscles start to die. <laughs> yeah. And, and keep in mind, it's Rift. So it's also possible to be a glitter boy from the start. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You begin as a glitter boy. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone begins as a glitter boy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just glitter boys all the way down. All right. So what's the build? It is Forge Cleric 17, Pact of the Chain Warlock 3. So this honestly... Okay. So last week we actually announced, hey, we're building the juicer because, you know, blah, blah, glitter boy, whatever. Uh, and then I realized that, like, we already built the Glitter Boy, and I think people kind of want that, and a juicer's hard. Um, but this is a relatively simple build. Um, you are doing 17 levels of Cleric because what you want is the resistance to fire and then eventually the immunity to fire mm-hmm. that you're going to get. Because fire is the closest D&D element to laser energy damage. That's right. Um, for magical items, I'm just going to skip ahead. I think you should grab a brooch of shielding. Uh, which gives you resistance to force, which will be Eldritch Blast. Uh, and pick Asamar as your race. So that's going to give you immunity to fire, resistance to radiant, uh, resistance to force, uh, which I think covers 90% of the damage types that you could take that could conceivably be called a laser. Yeah, and Asamar also could definitely be flavored with kind of glittery sunlit skin. So <laughs> you could be a literal glitter boy. 
Now, you may be thinking, uh, I don't really understand this whole cleric thing. Remember that you don't have to take cure spells. Um, well, no, you take repair spells. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And forge clerics, uh, you know, get those options to be able to, like, create uh, material so that you can actually, if you want, repair your glitter boy on the field. You also get heavy armor. So, you know, just polish it. Polish it so well. It's so, so shiny. And you can make it plus one armor as well. Yeah. Um, you also get uh, the cleric spell Guiding Bolt, which at low levels, I think, is probably the best way to simulate your boom gun. Uh, it's, what, 4d10 uh, radiant damage at first level, and you can upcast it. Uh, but, you know, that doesn't last for all 20 levels. You're going to want a better boom gun eventually. And really, that's what Warlock is for. Three levels of Warlock so that we can get the Eldritch Blast chassis. Yeah, yeah, that gets you uh, Eldritch Blast and all of the invocations you need in order to kind of maximize its effect. Yeah, Agonizing Blast, and then if you want something else, you're welcome to go for it. I would just always reflavor it as, like, one solid beam, and, like, your attack rolls are just determining, like, how well you hit or if it's a glancing blow. Yeah. You know, so you're doing, you know, eventually 4d10 plus 20. Yeah, and if you take the... uh... If you take Repelling Blast, then you can also knock them back up to 20 feet in that process yeah, as well. if you didn't already blow them up. And that's a cantrip. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, you get it's packed to the chain because I like the idea that you take uh, one of the special familiars and that your familiar is actually you, the little person inside the Glitter Boy that is just hiding and very fragile. And the, the actual character is the mech itself. Nice. So I'm being piloted by my like sprite or my little imp. Yeah, I like that. Packed to the chain, you could get uh, improved familiars, so you could also have like a pseudo dragon who could be invisible. <laughs> Please don't look at me. But not talk. <laughs> I'm I'm quite happy with the silent glitter boy. Yeah. <laughs> I speak with my boom gun. <laughs> so Shane. Tell me about your Glitter Boy. So when we talk about extremely heavy armor, uh, lots of damage resistance, we talk about sort of a, you know, a nice ranged DPS kind of build with the, uh, with the Eldritch Blast and whatnot, it makes me think of Warhammer 40k, and I think of a Dreadnought which is a space marine who has fallen in battle but is now being preserved in a sarcophagus with legs and arms and guns and will continue to fight for the emperor in the process. So my glitter boy is a forge cleric loyal to the god of the forge who fell in battle and has been resurrected in uh, inside his armor uh, and, now li- and now cannot live without his armor. But through that has sort of continued building onto it, improving it, um, learning how to fight within it. And now he continues to serve the God of the Forge uh, as a mechanized warrior, as sort of a, a heavy weapons platform, if you will, fighting alongside his allies. I love the idea that the God of the Forge doesn't actually resurrect you. No. <laughs> like we repair you. No, it's like it's like it's immortality. Of sorts. <laughs> this is so rifts. Right. <laughs> it's like the opposite of the juicer. Yeah, you can live forever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're not you, but you know. Uh, so it would kind of have that sort of feeling, I think, of like the resurrected mountain in um, 
in Game of Thrones where you know you never really take off your armor, you never really reveal what's what's inside it, and you're you're wearing heavy armor, right, full plate and everything, so you're completely encased. I think the undying patron might th- be thematically appropriate for this. That might be oh, nice because yeah. we didn't even pick a patron because yeah. it doesn't really matter. Right. Yeah, I think undying does make a lot of sense. Yeah, I like it. All right, how about your glitter boy? Uh, I think I kind of went in a similar direction to you. Well, that's good that I went first then. <laughs> uh, in that, my glitter boy is um, is essentially the armor because my glitter boy is Megatron. Okay. <laughs> we, neither of us really wants to play a dude in armor. We just want to play armor, armor. with a dude. <laughs> Megatron is a transformer, an evil transformer who has a giant gun on his arm who sometimes turns into a gun mm-hmm. of indeterminate size. Right. <laughs> uh, remember, you're going to be high charisma. Uh, I think we're shooting for 20 charisma here to make this gun as strong as possible. Megatron is a leader, a leader among sentient robots. Yeah, he's, uh, he's not uh, Starscream's leader, that's for sure. <laughs> Look, someday, he, you know, in the movie, he kills Starscream, and it is amazing. Ama- I know. It's super rift. It's super heavy metal. Wait, which actually. movie? It's Transformers the movie. Like the 1986 movie? Seven, yes. Yes. Oh, so, wait, hang on. Transformers and G.I. Joe were released in the same year? I think so. God, Transformers ruined G.I. Joe, man. <laughs> 1987 was crazy. I mean, uh, anyway, we don't need to go back to the G.I. Joe topic. Although, actually, right now, you you guys should, uh, if you haven't seen it before, go look on YouTube. Uh, Galvatron kills Starscream. Oh, my God, it's so good. Okay, anyway. Anyway, uh, yeah, this is this is Megatron with a, a giant gun, high charisma, a leader of mm, men. Uh, I actually would make a slight tweak to the build, though. I would go. I would take Warlock all the way to five just to get some uh, Eldritch Smite, so you can like really get that like gun, make it meaningful. Really get it, it hits. charged up, right? Oh, you're not going to get immunity to fire. Uh, fire. You like, still have resistance, though, and I think that's perfectly fine because Megatron he got weaknesses, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mostly hubris, though. So right. <laughs> maybe listen to last week's episode and play him as neutral evil and low wisdom. <laughs> yeah. You won't hit with Guiding Bolt, but meh, when you do. I mean, Megatron never really hits, right? Right. (laughs) All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about miniatures. And in the character, (laughs) you pronounce that like Kevin (laughs) Sivieta. (laughs) <laughs> miniatures miniatures <laughs> alright and in the character creation forge we're building mini mage well that's it for episode 152 of total party thrill I hope we lived up to our name but either way I'm Shane and I'm Ishan thanks for listening 